Welcome to the Grace Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to become a community of grace and peace for the good of our city and the fame of Jesus. Every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m., we gather together at the Malco Theater in Collierville, Tennessee, to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith by worshiping God through music, scripture, and a message for our lives. So if you're looking for a church home where you can feel loved and accepted as part of God's family, then come and join us at Grace Hill Church. You can visit our website at gracehill901.com for more information about our services and what we have planned for the upcoming weeks. We look forward to connecting with you. Now here's this week's message. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? The scripture reading is from John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, me, to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. 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 Thank you, Spencer, uh, so much for... Uh, reading this morning, and uh, I want to extend my welcome to you. Thanks for being here today. Uh, uh, we are in uh, part seven of this sermon series uh, that we started back in May called Encountering Jesus. And before we jump into uh, that today, just uh, by way of a couple of things I want to mention to you, uh, I know that uh, we, we, again, around here, we 
we preach out of God's word. We take God's word really, really seriously here at Grace Hill. But if you find yourself without a Bible, uh, we have several Bibles here on hand, and I would love uh, for you to take one. And so I know we've got, uh, I think, a couple set up over here on the table where you can get the Lord's Supper elements. We've got several more in our hospitality cart out front. Uh, if you find yourself in need of a Bible, uh, consider one of these Bibles uh, uh, yours. Just take it on your way out today or come down and grab it uh, during the course of the message so that you can follow along. I'm very, very thankful for, for technology and for the opportunity that we have to do things like the YouVersion Bible app where you can track along and make notes and that. But I'm telling you, there's, there's, there's nothing better, uh, I think, than uh, having a a, 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 a paper version of the Bible to be able to track in and highlight in, write in, underline everything to be able to come back to that sometimes days, weeks, months, years later and uh, see what God was doing in your life and then come back to that and, and be encouraged by it, draw strength, draw hope from that. So I want to encourage you uh, in that. Uh, Tim Keller says this, he says that the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet... At the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And the challenge uh, in our lives is that we often don't really want to face uh, that reality, right? We, we don't necessarily want to face the reality in our lives that we are, we are more sinful and we are more flawed than maybe what we would uh, care to uh, understand or grab hold of or uh, look in the mirror and face that reality. We're, we're, we're more sinful and flawed than, than maybe we, what we actually want to recognize. But here's what I want to challenge us with this is that it's actually the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus that allows us, when we, when we encounter Jesus, when we get a picture of him in our lives, when we get a picture of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, when we get a picture of the love and his grace and his mercy, it actually allows us to be able to look into that mirror and go, oh my. Because you may be thinking to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm really not that bad. I mean, I've got a I've got a sibling, I've got a, I've got a, a parent situation, I've got a friend situation, and boy, they're a whole lot worse off than I am. But maybe your story is, you know, I, you may not be a follower of Jesus, but maybe your story is, you know, hey, I, I, I was once pretty messed up and I've, I've worked really hard on myself. I've got a stack of, uh, you know, Atomic Habit book and, and some of these other books that have helped me change my life. And, and, and I've worked really hard on myself. So yeah, I'm, I may be sinful and flawed, but in my own power, I, I'm much better than I used to be. But what I wanna show you today and just throughout this series is, is that when we encounter Jesus, everything changes, it is because of his grace, his love, his mercy in our lives that draws us in and allows us to actually be able to look ourselves in the mirror, see our flaws, see our sin, but at the same time, see his love, his grace and mercy and be drawn into a relationship with him that changes everything in our lives. The story that Spencer just read uh, is, I believe, in our scriptures by no accident whatsoever. And it is such a dramatic presentation and depiction of the love that our Savior has, yes, for this woman, but really for all of us and all of humanity. 
This series, uh, Encountering Jesus, we have, like I said, been looking at these moments where uh, people's lives encounter Jesus. We started with Nathaniel and this skeptic, this person who was skeptical about who Jesus was. Uh, We have looked at, uh, last week, Nicodemus. This week, we're looking at the Samaritan woman, and next week, we'll be looking at this government official that pleads with Jesus, comes to him and pleads for him for help. And all three of these stories are kind of like a little mini series within this series encountering Jesus because all three of these people have a similar issue going on in their life, a similar crisis going on in their life. It's a crisis of belief. And when they encounter Jesus, Jesus leads them to truth. He leads them to his love. He leads them to his grace. He leads them to his mercy. And they're encountered with the question simply of this is, well, what do they believe in their life? Is Jesus enough for them for their salvation? Is Jesus enough for them for their faith? And my hope is today is that you'll encounter Jesus in that same way. And through this story of the Samaritan woman that you will see yourself in this story. And you'll be challenged with the same question is, do you believe? Do you believe just like there was a a moment there where Jesus said, I am the Messiah. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the savior of the world? So here's what we're gonna look at today. The first one is this, is that Jesus is a boundary breaker. Jesus is a boundary breaker. And then the second point today is this, is that Jesus is a story changer. Jesus is a boundary breaker and Jesus is a story changer. Now, If you compare this story, if we kind of put it up on the screen and sort of aligned the story of Nicodemus and aligned the story of the Samaritan woman, uh, there's some parallels, but they're parallel differences. I want to walk us through that just so we can really understand the nuances of these two stories being so tightly put together in our scriptures and why they're important to us. They are nearly on opposite ends, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, they are nearly on opposite ends of every spectrum you can imagine. The social spectrum, the political spectrum, the religious spectrum. One is a named male. We get a lot of details about Nicodemus. We understand who Nicodemus is in a lot of ways. One is a named male. The other one is an unnamed female. We don't know what the Samaritan woman's name was. One is a distinguished religious leader The other one is a despised foreigner with a questionable marital history. Nicodemus, he comes at night, maybe for fear, maybe for fear of being judged. Uh, Maybe for, uh, he comes to, to Jesus at night because he simply wants to get some alone time. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, comes to Jesus in the heat of the day because she is judged. And so she has to choose to come to draw water in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day. The, the dialogue is very different between Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Nicodemus' uh, encounter is basically a monologue. Nicodemus asks a few questions. He's confused. He's a little confounded. But, but Nicodemus, the interaction that he has with Jesus is basically a monologue. Whereas the, woman, the story of the woman at the well is one of the few times in Scripture where an encounter with Jesus results in a dialogue, there's actually quite a, a back and forth, kind of a ping pong back and forth between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus has certainly allowed her, given her the space 
to have this conversation with her with no judgment. In the conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus has some very stark, clear words that he wants to share to the religious establishment. In the meeting with the Samaritan woman, Jesus has something to say to those who have been despised by the religious establishment. And even the endings of how the the two stories end are dramatically different. We kind of read right up to a certain point. I'm gonna carry it a little further today in the message beyond what Spencer read. But the endings of the two stories are dramatically different. Nicodemus, we have no record of whether or not he actually responded and believed that Jesus was the Christ. Now, John chapter seven, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus kind of talks the religious leaders back a little bit. And then we see this beautiful picture in John uh, chapter 19 at the, the burial of Jesus where uh, Nicodemus comes with Joseph of Arimathea to bury the body of Jesus. So we get some glimpses there that maybe uh, Nicodemus does believe in who Jesus is. But the story in John chapter four doesn't, John chapter three doesn't give us that. What happens in John chapter four though with the woman at the well? She becomes an evangelist to the good news of Jesus and actually leads many in her own town to believe in him. Yet the story is simply the same between the two. Jesus is meeting someone, encountering, they are encountering him And he is willing and wanting to invite them into a belief in him, no matter who they are. Jesus is a boundary breaker. He breaks so many boundaries in this encounter that he has with this woman. Uh, One of the real clear boundaries that he breaks here is geographic. In the scripture, it says that uh, Jesus had to go through Samaria, but actually he didn't have to go through Samaria to get from where Jesus was to down to Galilee, there were actually three known routes at the time. It just happened to be that the the route through Samaria was the fastest route, but for a Jewish person, even traveling with a group of people, it was not the route that they most often would go. Why? Well, one, they were despised. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But there was also a really good chance for uh, thieves and robbers to be on the road that even despite traveling in a group, just because of the hatred between Jews and Samaritans, this this group of people might've had a chance to be robbed on their journey. Another major boundary that Jesus broke in this encounter that was had with the Samaritan woman is ethnic. You have a Jewish person, and a Samaritan person. Matter of fact, in verse uh, nine, we get this picture. The woman was surprised. For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. Goes on, the narration here goes on to say, John writes that she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. She, this, this was a major boundary for her. She was not prepared for someone to break, someone to cross. Now you may be saying, well, what was the, what was the hatred here? What was the, the backstory? Well, rewind the tape some 700 plus years back to 722 BC. The Syrians had conquered the Northern kingdom there of Israel. 
and they had exiled almost all the Jewish population in, in doing so. But what they left behind was essentially the lowest classes of the people. They didn't want to exile them. They just left them there. 136 years later, the Babylonians come in and they conquer the, the southern kingdom. And again, once again, they followed kind of the same thing. They left the lowest classes of the people. And what began to happen from that is this, these two low classes of people emerged as the Samaritans and they emerged as a new uh, religious group. And Jews in Jesus' time despised Samaritans because while they were religious, they considered them half-breeds. That was in several commentaries, in quotation marks, half-breeds because of their past history. There was a lot of uh, geographic and political tension between the Samaritans and the Jews as well because the Samaritans, while they brought a lot of superstition and, and ideas into their faith, they had actually built a temple to Yahweh. And not too recent before that, not too soon before this, about 160, 70 years before this encounter, the Jews actually came in and destroyed that temple there in Samaria. This obviously made the relationship between Jews and Samaritans so, so stark. It's, it's why the story of the good Samaritan, we tell it often these days almost like a little nursery story. Oh, here was a man along the road and he helped this other guy. I mean, we, we tell this story, but it was so offensive to Jesus' audience at the time because the, the, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. This woman was surprised. Because Jews refuse to have anything to do with the Samaritans. Jesus was a boundary breaker. Another boundary that Jesus crossed here was the male-female boundary. Now, we see Jesus crossing this boundary, and it gets him in trouble all of the time. Never crossing a boundary inappropriately. But culturally, there were boundaries. There was a, a system set up. And we find Jesus willing to cross in and break that boundary time and time again. We get a picture of how big of a deal this was, uh, that this was Jesus having an encounter with a Samaritan woman at actually the end of the story, right where Spencer left off when she read scripture today. One of the very next verses says this, just when his disciples came back, they were shocked to find him talking to another woman. One commentator that I read this week said a better English translation of the word shocked there is probably more like horrified. They were just in disbelief that Jesus was talking with a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want to do with her? What, what did you want with her? Or why are you talking with her? Little side note, it's not in my notes. You get this for free. The Samaritan woman had much more nerve to ask Jesus questions than his little uh, uh, contraband tribe here of, of guys running around with Jesus. She was much more bold, much more declarative, much more demonstrative in the questions that she had for Jesus than even his own disciples were. I love this boundary that Jesus crossed as well, and it kind of fits into the idea of Jesus crossing the geographic and this ethnic and this gender boundary. But what a powerful picture that we see Jesus. Again, he's about to, he's about to tell this lady, I have living water. 
We've just seen two chapters earlier. If you go back and read in John, two chapters earlier, Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus has power to do things. But in order to be a barrier breaker and to cross these lines, what does Jesus do? He says, I need help. I need help. I'm thirsty. Could you get me something to drink? I believe that Jesus was fully God and fully human. He could have in an instant snapped his fingers, blew out his breath, said water appear. He could have done something and had it right there for him. It's interesting that when his, he, his disciples come back and they talk about food, Jesus looks at him and says, I have food that you don't know about. I, my food is to do my father's will. And yet here we see Jesus asking this woman, hey, could you give me a drink? I'm thirsty. It's a hot day, heat of the day. He breaks that barrier even, that, that here he's about to reveal himself as the Messiah, the one that even the Samaritans have waited for. And Jesus is sitting, waiting on her to have an encounter with her to say, hey, I need some help. Could you help me out and spare a drink? Jesus crosses the boundary of worship, does he not? Uh, throughout the encounter, the, the woman pops back to Jesus when he makes a statement. She'll pop back to Jesus asking for more clarity, asking for more understanding. She realizes that there's something special about Jesus because he draws something that he shouldn't know about her past. He draws that out of her and she says, hey, I see that you're a prophet. And she responded with a theological question. She said for for, for years, you Jews, you, you people have said that we should worship in Jerusalem only. But, but, but we believe that we can worship here. What, what do you say about that, Jesus? And Jesus crosses that boundary of worship that, that now worship is not uh, relegated to a geographic space. But Jesus is going to point the picture forward to say, now it is not about the geographic location of the space. It is now about the object of your worship, not about the location where you worship. He says that, that the father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And what is spirit and truth? It is the character of God. That even in this encounter with Jesus, Jesus is crossing this, this age-old boundary, this age-old barrier that has existed between Jews and Samaritans to say it's not about this place and it's not about this mountain and it's not about this temple. It's about the posture of your heart as you worship the one who spoke breath into your lungs and gave you life into your being. It is about spirit and truth, worshiping God for who he is. It is about the object of your worship, no longer the location of your worship. Let me say this as an aside here. That's really good news for a church that meets in a movie theater, right? That it's not about our geographic location of where we worship, but the object of our worship should always be the same no matter where it's at, whether we're in a movie theater or elsewhere. It's really good news for us. Jesus is a boundary breaker. But Jesus also is a story changer. He's a story changer. Let me read this, starting in verse uh, 16. Jesus says to her, go and get your husband. 
She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, I can't deal with the fact yet that Jesus is a story changer without dealing with the cultural issue that is so pervasive when it comes to this story in our culture. I, I cannot recall a single message that I have heard preached about John chapter four. And I'll say this, I have preached John chapter four, I think three or four times over the last seven years. There's never been a message that I have preached about John chapter four where there was not some residue of this woman being overly sexually active, immoral. That the reason why she's had five husbands is because of a deep, deep, deep character flaw in herself. I have literally preached this text from the perspective of she had given her whole life trying to find satisfaction in other men. And Jesus stands in front of her and says, I'm living water, I have what satisfies you. Here's the problem with all of that. Nowhere in this text does Jesus condemn her for being in sin for having five husbands. Nowhere. There are time and time again in the gospels where when Jesus encounters someone who is in sin, he will call that out in them. There are times in the gospels where when Jesus encounters someone who is in sin, he will actually look at them and say, go and what? Sin no more. But in this instance, what does he do? He says, you're right. You've spoken the truth. Now you may push back on me a little bit and say, hey man, that like I'm X number of years old. I've heard John chapter four. I could preach your message today. I've never heard it from that perspective. Let me, let me just, can I, can, I, can I crack the door maybe a little bit there? And I think the story actually becomes more beautiful if we open up our, our hearts to some possibilities surrounding the, the backstory of this woman. No doubt she had had five husbands and no doubt she was living with someone currently who was not her husband. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she was driven with lust or overly promiscuous. Maybe her situation actually says more about the community that she was a part of than it does about her. And you say, what does that mean? Well, it's really simple. In this time, a woman could not write a certificate of divorce. Jesus has an encounter with, with the religious leaders who talk about, hey, is it okay if we you know, divorce? And what Jesus talked to us about all this. And Jesus in that encounter actually says it's, it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses said you, you could write a certificate of divorce. But a woman in this day and age was considered nothing more than a piece of property. And a man could write a certificate of divorce for any reason. Now, let me say this. Let me just kind of set as a backstory here. She could have been divorced five times because she was overly promiscuous and lustful. That is a possibility. But could we for a moment just not read that into the text? That maybe her situation actually says more about her community than it does about her. She could be caught 
In Genesis uh, 38, there's a story of a woman named Tamar who gets caught in this idea of this, what's called the Levirate marriage, where her first husband has several brothers. He dies. They're not married. The next one has to marry her. He dies. The story goes on and on and on. Maybe she was caught in a marriage like that, in a, in a, in a system like that. Here's the thing. Maybe she was overly lustful. Maybe she was overly promiscuous. Maybe not. But for a moment, if we could just set aside the labels that we are so easily want to put on people and just simply say this, no matter what her backstory was, it landed her outside the village in the heat of a day having a conversation with a Jewish rabbi who was about to reveal himself as a Messiah. And her situation, her life is tragic and it is broken. I actually don't think that this is just me thinking out loud, sharing with my friends here. I actually don't think that Jesus was condemning her in this moment. What I actually think Jesus was doing is he was saying, hey, I see you. I see the hurt and the pain and the disappointment and the wounds and the baggage that comes from having five husbands and now this person that you're living with, you don't know if they're gonna commit to you. They don't, you don't know if they're gonna provide for you. Who knows? But I see you. I want you to know that I see you. I've pulled up that deep, dark secret, that thing of just carrying shame and regret and the weight of life's circumstances. I have pulled that up to simply say, I see you. Yes, you're telling the truth. May I say this? Maybe the reason why John records this in our scripture has less to do about what we learn about the woman and more to do about what we learn about Jesus. Because her response is this. I see that you're a prophet. 2023 language? Whoa, dude. There's something different about you. Maybe this says more about Jesus than it does about the woman. And maybe that's the whole point of this being in our scripture. She has now moved from seeing Jesus just as a man who would in any other circumstance in case despise her. She's now moved from seeing him just as a a Jewish man To someone who has better water, living water, literal translation, life-giving water than her, even her ancestor Jacob. And her eyes are now being opened to who Jesus, in fact, really is. In an instant, her whole story changes. In an instant, her whole story changes. Listen to this, verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. This woman, let me, let me, can I just again aside say this? This woman is smart. 
She is learned. She understands theology. She understands nuance of the scriptures. She has burning questions in her life. She has met Jesus on a hillside by a well. And she's taking this advantage to get these questions answered. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now again, this is one of those little texts where our English translations go beyond what the languages say. What's in the languages, and it's there to help us. It's, it's not they're not trying to do anything you know, nefarious. It's just there to help us. But if you know anything about these big moments in the Old Testament, you know that there was a big moment that God had with one of his early prophets where he revealed himself and he said, this is what you tell the people. I am sent you. And that's what Jesus says there. I am. We need the Messiah in there. But this woman would have known exactly what Jesus was saying when Jesus looked at her and said, I am. I am the one that you have been waiting for. Remember, two two chapters earlier than this, the wedding at Cana, we're gonna look at that in a few weeks, turns the water into wine. Jesus' mother comes to him and says, you know, hey, they're out of wine, you gotta do something, Jesus. And what does he say to her? Two chapters before this, he says, my time has not yet come. And here we see Jesus revealing himself, who he is, his mission, his purpose, the weight of who he is to an outcast Samaritan woman who's been divorced five times and not even living with somebody now who's her husband. And what happens? Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well. Now, I was talking with Randall this week about this text and I was telling him, we were chatting about the fact that there's so many different places that this message could have gone. You know, it's an interesting idea though. Many times when someone encounters Jesus and has their life changed, what do they do? They leave something behind. And here the woman leaves her water jar behind. I don't know if she came to pick it back up. But in that moment, it was not important to her. She left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She goes from being an outcast to being an evangelist. In a moment, she goes from being someone who is, who, is, who is this oppressed kind of victim of society in so many ways to now preaching the good news of Jesus. And just again, as a side, I don't think it's fair to talk about this text and not make this statement. Jesus didn't stop women from preaching the good news. Why would we? Jesus didn't stop women from preaching the good news. Why would we? You know what didn't happen here in this moment? What the text doesn't say is 
Uh, She left her water jar beside her and ran back to the village to find a man who could explain what just happened to the whole village. We don't see here in the text that she left her water jar beside the well and ran off to school somewhere to go get properly trained or to go through an 18-week discipleship class so that she could learn a little bit more about what just happened. No, Jesus changed her life. She became a herald of the good news of the gospel of Jesus and she went back and told everybody she could and don't forget who she was walking back to. A society who had pushed her an arm's length away. She couldn't even go to the well in the cool of the day to draw water. the most unlikely person becomes the first evangelist for Jesus that we have in the gospel of John. Jesus, we find him always elevating women to a seat of influence, to a seat of learning, to a a posture of receiving and giving back. Think about the, the story of the garden tomb, that resurrection Sunday morning. And the women come and they're gonna fulfill their their duty, their obligation to to finish uh, uh, preparing the body. And Jesus is not there, he's risen. And what does Jesus say? Go go tell my brothers, Go go tell them, go declare to them that he is not here. He is risen from the grave. Now, I know this is Father's Day, but I I wanna take just a moment and speak to the ladies in the room. We need your voice. I wanna say it again, just in case you missed it. We need your voice. We need your influence. You are made in the image of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a loved daughter of the king, an heir to the kingdom. You have a story to tell and you have the good news inside of you. And if Jesus has changed your life, You have been gifted by him for our church and for his kingdom. 